Welcome to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFISFM. Well, folks, we are back, and uh, it's treacherous out there. Please drive carefully. Sharon just made it in. Just yeah. just got in the door. You were uh, piled up at Beaverly. There was an accident out there, and I guess they are not going to have they. The latest from uh, Drive BC is that it's probably not going to be clear till about two. So uh, being <laughs> I'll a, take my back road yeah, back. <laughs> that's right. Found that back road and got around. Anybody listening that's in the lineup at Beaverly, take the road to the right. Take the first to the left. You'll come out on Blackwater. Yeah. Turn left, yeah. and you'll come out uh, down at uh, Vanway. Yeah. So get off that road. Get on the back roads. And Barry, you couldn't make it out either, eh? I, I didn't try. <laughs> well, I thought maybe I could do it from the truck. <laughs> if we needed to, I could pull over and do it. But uh, luckily, there's a, there's back roads around there. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, uh, it's kind of an interesting uh, usual for us northerners who have moved up here from Vancouver. <laughs> Well, I moved out here from Ontario. We wouldn't have anything like this yet. <laughs> uh, no, not yet. No. Seems like the first uh, the first uh, nasty day in the in the fall or early winter, uh, we get this happens until people change their driving habits. Yeah, and remember where they are. You know, not not where they used to live. Uh, at this time of year in um, Toronto, we'd probably still be wearing uh, Bermuda shorts and knee socks. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to talk to you today about one of the most important insect species um, that we have on Earth, and that's bees. Yes. And uh, I think people uh, don't or underestimate the importance of our lives uh, are dependent on bees, on having bees. If we didn't have bees, we wouldn't be able to eat. Well, that's for sure. It would certainly, uh, our diets would be far, far different than what we've grown accustomed to in the last five, six hundred years or a thousand years. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I hear that you're really involved now in a provincial organization, Barry? Well, um, yeah, I, I guess so. I, I'm, I'm the regional rep. Uh, I, the, I represent the, the the area here. It's, it goes from Prince George up to Mackenzie and out to Topley and then uh, east to um, the Alberta border and south to Hickson. So that's the area that I represent as far as beekeepers yeah. uh, in the area uh, to the provincial uh, body, which is the BC Honey Producers Association, right? Probably should be called the BC Beekeepers Association because, you know, most most of its members are not major honey producers, but are rather uh, custodians of the bees. Yeah, and I think that's because I I really had to read up on on this because um, I love bees and I try to plant the variation of. Uh, um, plants that they like uh, but I'm not interested in taking their honey away from them they need it for the winter uh, I suppose I'd take a little snack once in a while but uh, I think keeping bees or beekeepers are people who want to keep it, help keep us alive yeah, the, the interest in beekeeping has grown it's exploded really in the last 10 years I think largely due to the you know the media's coverage of uh, of the the plight of of honeybees um, that started all with this colony collapse disorder uh, that was going around back in you know 2008 2006 that area, um, but you know what we're we're learning um, that it's not just honeybees. Honeybees actually are an invasive species. They were brought here, um, you know, with the first settlers that uh, that came to uh, North America. Uh, there is there are hundreds and hundreds of pollinators right here that yeah. are native to uh, to our area, mm -hmm. and um, and we need to we need to pay attention to them as well, probably more so than honeybees. Honeybees get looked after by conscientious beekeepers to make sure they have enough to eat and that 
you know, the mm-hmm. sort of thing. Whereas, you know, the bumblebees and the mason bees and the yes. carpenter bees, they all have to fend on their own. So uh, we just finished a conference, actually, Saturday, Friday and Saturday was the BC Honey Producers um, annual general meeting, and along with it was a number of educational um, topics that were being discussed. And it was it was uh, focused on uh, beekeeping in this change in changing in the changing climate, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was called. In fact, it was titled "The Changing Climate of Beekeeping," and just about all of the speakers were speaking about you know food security. Yes. About. Uh, um, uh, climate change and how it's impacting all uh, all species. I mean, humans, insects, mm-hmm. uh, you name it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, literally everything on the earth. And you know, the underlying message here was about promoting biodiversity. Yes. If you promote di- biodiversity in your your garden and your yard and and whatnot, um, you will be doing a huge favor to pollinators. Yes. And and you look at the flowers. I mean, there's the um, ladybugs, and there's different species of flies. There's butterflies. There's I mean, if we there's thousands of uh, different species of insects that live in our gardens, in our grass, in our trees. That's for sure, and 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 they all play a role. Yes, they all play a role, whether they are predators or pollinators or both. You take wasps, for instance. Mm-hmm. Wasps actually are pollinators early in the year. Yeah, they are. It's not until later in the fall, um, you know, uh, in August and whatnot, when oral sources dry up and whatnot, that they become more predatory. Yeah, they attack me. Yeah, <laughs> and other insects. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, my my grandfather used to, he, he, sometimes he would get a wasp nest uh, on his porch up you know, in the in the wood up above, and yep. he would leave them alone because he said they got rid of the mosquitoes. Yeah, I always leave a wasp nest around, and uh, one of the things I have on my property is a lot of um, uh, cottonwood trees, and I hear in the spring lots of buzzing there because those um, there's a lot of sticky stuff there that some of the insects like. I don't know if they're wasps or bees that are, are up there in the trees, but you can, you know, you, there's so many of them, you can hear it. Yes, for sure. So but all of our trees, really, like willows, are one of the first sources of pollen for for bees and other insects. And mm-hmm. cottonwood, birch, uh, they also produce a sap that is uh, high in sugar in the spring. Yeah. The other thing that cottonwoods provide for many, many insects, including honeybees, is uh, they collect the sap, mm-hmm. they bring it back to the hive, and they use it for um, for uh, sterilizing or, or making their their home um, safer. So mm-hmm. they do a thing called propolis. Right. I've heard of that. Yeah, and, and propolis, of course, humans have now discovered that it's got great... Uh, uh, medicinal value in in uh, for us as well, but the bees take it and they line their nests and uh, and that's that red sticky stuff. If you've ever opened a beehive, um, some beekeepers curse it because it's very hard. It's like glue, yeah, and it glues everything together. Yeah, but it's very very um, uh, beneficial to the bees. It's antimicrobial. It uh, in fact we we listened to a speaker on the weekend talking about how they've experimented with propolis in beehives um, and have found that it actually lowers or creates a safer environment for them and prevents uh, some pathogens. Some of the things that are attacking the bees uh, don't do as well in a beehive that's that's coated with uh, propolis. The underlying message there to beekeepers was don't go trying to scrape off all the propolis that the bees have worked so hard to <laughs> yeah. put in there. And that, that comes primarily from cottonwood trees. Yeah, well, I'm just surrounded by them, so I'm helping them out that way. Uh, that's a good thing. Now, um, I, I think that people need to understand that, uh, um, that the bees are pollinators. They pollinate everything. All like apple trees, melons, um, cranberries, asparagus, broccoli, and and they go from one plant to another plant, um, taking um, transferring pollen from the male plant to the female plant. 
That's exactly right. So they're collecting pollen to bring back to the hive. Yeah. Uh, and, and this isn't just honeybees. It's bumblebees, all the bees. Mm-hmm. Pollen contains protein for them and minerals and fats. So, mm-hmm. so they, they are collecting pollen, but they get it on their furry body, and they move from, from plant to plant, and they deposit. Yep. Pollen, and that's exactly how the the plants reproduce, right? With yep. without that pollination, uh, we wouldn't uh, <laughs> we'd be in pretty bad shape. Um, I've, there was some famous uh, quote here that uh, once the bees are gone, we've got about four or five years <laughs> yeah. left, right? As as a human race. So. I, I don't think people understand the importance of bees. They all run from them, and and. Uh, I don't know. I think I got stung from a bumblebee. Wasps are the ones that more attack, unless you, uh, unless you shake up a, a bee's uh, comb out in the bush. They'll they'll chase you for that. Yeah, wasps wasps are a nuisance in the fall usually. You know, yeah. when people complain they're having a barbecue or something, and the wasp is always trying to get at their hamburger or or whatever, but usually in the spring and summer, you don't get bothered by wasps. No. Unless, like you said, you disturb their nest or you get too close to it. Yeah, and then you head for the lake. Yeah, and so the bees are searching in nectar, and they leave behind pollen, and they uh, pollinate billions of plants. And and I think we even uh, agricultural crops, you know, they'll pollinate them. And so um, it says... uh, they play such a role in our lives that one out of three bites of food we eat has been created by a bee. That's that's correct. And uh, uh, you know, if you if, if people are interested and they want to go online and see what a, a, a pollinated fruit and an unpollinated fruit look like, it's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, in the almonds in um, in California. Uh, without bees pollinating, I read somewhere, I mean, I don't know how accurate this is, but, you know, an, an almond tree would will create about 17 pounds of almonds, and with pollination, it's 300 pounds. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And it, I read that 30% of the world's crops and 90% of all plants require, require cross-pollination. And so, you know, we need to be more aware. We got into some kind of a a pause space of thinking that everything comes from the grocery store. And I think COVID and people being home, they started looking at growing gardens. Uh, there's organizations in town now that are, are are concerned about food security. So I think there's some positives that have come out of COVID. Uh, you know, and I, I, like you said, I don't think people are connecting the dots. So you take um, grasses are primarily wind-pollinated. Corn yes. and stuff like that are, is wind-pollinated. So, I mean, you would get that stuff without without pollinators. But, uh, you know, you take milk. Yes. Everybody, you know, milk and cheese and sour cream and yogurt and the whole string of uh, foods that we we rely on from from dairy, whether mm-hmm. it's goats or sheep or cows. Well, guess what they eat? Yeah. They eat alfalfa and clovers and things like that. Those do not do well if there isn't pollinators. Yeah. Yeah. And climate change, of course, is, is ca- uh, causing some flowers to bloom early, some to bloom late, and um, leaving the bees with uh, um, fewer uh, food sources. Oh, at the start of I, I the, season. the first part of that the the um climate change causes some flowers to bloom earlier and some later than usual leaving bees with fewer food sources at the start of the season yes that's that's correct so i mean you i i've said this before uh, you know when when i've been on your program that dandelions are so very very important mm-hmm. they are the first um, they are the first uh, nectar-producing flower yep. that comes in any abundance, and uh, and that's what gives all of your pollinators uh, a head start for mm-hmm. the rest of the summer. Yeah. Usually, there is a, a period after dandelions die off or stop blooming, where there there's we call it a dearth, but essentially it, it becomes a bit of a desert for for yes. plants. And then the next things that come along are the the clovers and, and uh, some of the wildflowers, but when when a person is planting, 
Um, a couple of tips to, to consider. Yeah, if you want to help the bees or help pollinators, um, go to when you go to your uh, your local uh, supply store where you get your seeds. Check them out. Make sure that they are um, that they are <clears throat> um, non-invasive. Yeah, and that they are pollinator friendly. Uh, you know, my my wife uh, got some sunflower seeds here this spring, and uh, we planted them. Mm-hmm. Um, they grew. They they were beautiful. They grew, and they were big, multiple flowers. Not a single bee visited them all spring or summer. And you know why? Why? They are. They were genetically modified to not produce pollen uh, nor nectar. They're just there for the looks. Yeah. You know, so sunflowers are an excellent plant for pollinators. Yes. But you got to buy the right ones. You got to make sure that they are going to produce pollen and nectar. Yeah. And uh, so you need to ask uh, whether you're going to Honeyfords or Art Naps, ask them. Yeah. Um, about the uh, the seeds you're buying, and uh, they're knowledgeable. They'll be able to tell you. And whatever you do, we don't need any more hawkweed or go oxeye daisy or the next uh, invasive plant. <laughs> so make sure you buy stuff that's uh, good for the environment. Yeah, and I was reading about how the sunflower, uh, during its period of growth, you know, it, it, each stage helps the bee more and more and more. And um, I didn't know about sunflowers and having all that nectar. I thought it was just all seeds. That's right, but that's how they get the seeds. They get pollinators, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, dumb, dumb old me. <laughs> oh, well, there, like, I thought I knew a lot about, about this stuff, but I learned lots this past weekend uh, attending this conference um, mm-hmm. about biodiversity and about... Uh, you know the relation. Do you know that there are there are bees in our area here that are focused on just one or two types of plants, and uh, they evolved with those plants. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, you know, if those plants disappear, so do they. Isn't that interesting? Yes, and I did hear something about that, but I'd forgotten about it. The other thing is that there, uh, the bees are suffering habitat loss from development and abandoned farms and lack of friendly bee-friendly flowers. That's right. And a lot of, you know, I mean, well, let's face it, there's a whole industry based on, you know, clean and green, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, your, 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 your neighbors look down their nose at you if you've got clover or dandelions in your lawn. Yeah. Um, it's too bad that it's turned that way. Actually, that's a phenomenon since the Second World War. Um Prior to that, I think I've probably mentioned in the past, my grandmother used to celebrate dandelions, and she made so many different things out of them, um, even include, well, tea, but mm-hmm. as a teetotaler, so we never really saw any dandelion wine. Wine, but, yeah, yeah, but, and salad. And, uh, like, it was amazing. It was, it was like a celebration when the dandelions came. So I think our, our ancestors knew a lot more than we do about the environment and biodiversity. Well, and I try to live like them. Like, I never cut... The grass until the dandelions have gone to seed, and and uh, and I only cut it because maybe once or twice a year just because of the mosquitoes I've got there, and uh, I tried to uh, plant you know bee friendly plants and and a lot of them are just annuals so you plant them every year. Yes, yeah, that's that's right. Um, you know things like uh, like herbs are one of the one of the best for uh, for pollinators and many herbs will will bloom mm-hmm. long into the fall until the frost hits and that's uh, right yeah like chives and uh, you name it there's all kinds of stuff oregano and uh, all uh, the the bees love them you know i was interested to see that buckwheat is is really good to plant for bees yeah, buck, buckwheat is very good. I, I've planted it here. Um, most most people that plant buckwheat do it as a ground cover, and then they till it under uh-huh. hours. So uh, that doesn't really help the bees much. But yeah, if you can plant a patch of buckwheat, star flower, or um, 
borage is a, a same name, but, yeah. um, but it can be a little invasive. If you plant it, it'll come back year after year. Well, that's what I would like, so I don't have to plant it every year. And and butterfly bush, and some people call that a weed, you know, and Queen's Anne's lace is another one that's... Um, you can see growing quite wild, and they're good for bees as well. I, I, I grow uh, star flower here in my, you know, along the edge of my garden, and it, the butterflies that go to that are amazing. Like it's wow, right till the frost, right? Right, right. And and um, I was reading about the um, colonies collapsing due to plants and seeds with neonicotinoid. Uh, neonicotinoids, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a lot of research being done on that. Certainly they have uh, sublethal effects um, in some studies. Um, you know, there's uh, glyphosate is another one that, uh, yes. that causes some issues. Um, it gets into the soil. Yeah. The sad thing is on the prairies, glyphosate is on a regular basis. It's part of their whole uh, farming uh, and it, it, you know, it's kind of odd. It's based part of the reason they use it is because it's no-till. Yeah, so it's supposed to be better for the soil. But uh, you know, this glyphosate sits in the soil for a long time. I believe there's a, a study out now from UNBC. Yes, Doctor Wood there, mm-hmm. um, showing that it's you know, ten years later, it's still having an effect on plants in these cut blocks that are sprayed. Yeah, and the other thing I read about glyphosate is that it goes into the collagen in an animal, and it can't be cooked out, and it goes into the plant, and you can't wash it off, and um, they're connecting it to autism and Parkinson's and and kind of uh, neurological illnesses in humans. I I don't know. I'm sure that's all being studied. It, yeah, but it, it is systemic. It gets into the soil and the yep. water, and then the plants take it up, and it becomes part of them. Yeah, it's reason why one of the reasons why I won't poison mice is because somebody's going to eat that, and it's going to harm them in some way or not. You know, and so I live with mice. Actually, I shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> you need a cat. I got two cats. They're lazy. <laughs> now, um, I think uh, the bumblebee, one of the Ontario's bumblebee species is listed as endangered. Can you imagine? Actually, yeah, there there are, um, there are, I, I'm not that up to speed on the different uh, species, but there are endangered uh, ones here in BC too. Yeah, and so if we're going to plant a garden in the spring, I would really appreciate it if people would look up uh, what a bee-friendly garden is, and also to make sure, as you said earlier, about uh, it, you know it not being something just to look at. Yeah, for sure. And so, I mean, in in our case, we wanted. We wanted plants that the bees would go to, and we went mm-hmm. and bought them. And uh, thinking that sunflowers were sunflowers, but obviously they're they're not all. No, no. Some are only for decoration. Yeah, that's that's really ridiculous. I mean, it's the same as lawns. I, I nobody can explain to me why we have lawns instead of not trees in in front of our house, giving us privacy there for the bees, there for the birds, other insects. And we have these, lo- I just had 52 uh, trees planted in my yard. Wow. No more lawn. Well, I've got a few acres. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, I mean, really and truly, why don't we plant a, uh, there's somebody out um, your way that used to have one of those English gardens. They didn't have a lawn. And it was just beautiful with the uh, the irises and all of the different flowers uh, that they had in their front lawn, and and they wanted the bees, not the lawn. There are a lot of uh, of um, alternatives to having a green lawn that are you know that promote biodiversity and are also very very low maintenance. Yes, yeah. Um, but um, oh, I'm sure if you spoke to any of the the um, places that, that sell plants, they'd be able to, you know, 
yeah. provide you information on that. Yeah. I was also um, reading about an insecticide that's used in agriculture and household pesticide products like flea shampoo, uh, head lice products for humans, and and um, th- they're very deadly to bees and other insects. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Well, remember what it's called? It's... Um, P e r m e t permethism. I don't know how to pronounce permethism, and sulfoxaflor. Sulfoxaflor, and uh, they're insecticides that are sold for us to use in our homes, and uh, uh, they're lethal to insects and bees. Now, Barry, let's talk about having bees oh getting bees yeah okay. how, how do we set up we need a bee um, house we need some kind of protection <laughs> okay first and foremost the most important thing a new beekeeper can do is to educate themselves yes having bees is not like having a pet uh a cat or something <laughs> like that it, yeah um yeah. there is an uh, the, the once you are set up and uh, whatnot, they don't require a whole lot of attention, except but you do have to pay attention, right? Yeah. Um, so I recommend there is a course, a free course, uh-huh. that starts in January, towards the end of January, and uh, it's online, and you go to uh, uh, BC, uh, Government of BC, um, and type in, uh, you know, app culture. Yep. And it'll take you to the, there, there's a whole department dedicated to apiculture at uh, the Ministry of Agriculture. Wonderful. And um, and you'll be able to find the course there. You have to register. Okay. Register now, and then you'll be notified in probably uh, just after Christmas, early January, as to the dates. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's on Saturday mornings. It usually runs from 9 to 11 or 9.30 to 11.30. And I think it's three or four Saturdays in a row. And it's it's a pretty good introduction mm-hmm. um, to uh, what's involved. Um, the other thing is um, I, I put on a course. Uh-huh. It's uh, the BC Honey Producers Association has created a, a course, uh, an introduction to beekeeping. It's more hands-on than what the ministry puts on. Yeah. It does follow the same sort of uh, material, but in much more detail. And I usually, I haven't run it for two years now because of COVID, but I'm planning to do it again next uh, winter slash spring. Okay. And it's uh, it's a two days in the classroom, two eight-hour days in the classroom, and then one day filled in an apiary, in my apiary, mm-hmm. putting in, you know, putting practical um, application to what you learned in the classroom. Yeah, that, it would be good to be able to to uh, be kind of hands-on and see how you do it and see how, um, you know, if you're going to really want to involve yourself with yeah, insects sure. to and, that degree. You know, oh, darn, we've only got two minutes left. Well, one minute left now. You're looking uh, at around uh, an investment of about $1,000 yep. to get into beekeeping. Um, you can buy equipment locally at Northern Acreage. Okay. Uh, so, you know, it, getting the equipment isn't going to be difficult. I think there's a couple of other stores that sell some too, but I would support Northern Acreage because they get <laughs> their equipment is pretty good. Good. Uh, and they have a good selection as well. Okay. Well, I have to say goodbye to you. This has been very informative. And uh, I need to talk to you in the spring when you're waking them up and feeding them sugar water. All right. Sounds good. Nice (laughs) chatting with you, Sharon. Yeah, thanks so much, Barry. Bye-bye. Bye. This is Senior Moments, and we'll take a short break and be back with our next guest. Do you like a good bluegrass song? Enjoying hearing music from the likes of Bill Monroe, Rhonda Vincent, and the Lakeside Ramblers? Then tune in to Back Porch Pickens Sunday evenings at 5 on 93.1 CFIS-FM for an hour of great bluegrass old and new. I'm Corey Walker, and I'm thrilled to take you on a musical journey each week as we explore the world of North American bluegrass. Catch Back Porch Pickens Sunday nights at 5 only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. 
Crossing one major street in Prince George is safer now thanks to two new crosswalk upgrades. City crews have installed overhead flashing beacon systems on 15th at the Irwin and Allward Street intersections. The brightly flashing signs alert motorists to slow down and yield for crossing pedestrians, including students, visitors to Freeman Park and Studio 2880, hospital patients and workers, and nearby residents. The City of Prince George thanks motorists for their patience during these important traffic safety enhancements and for driving cautiously around road crews. Standing up against racism is an ongoing battle. How will you help? I will listen to and learn from people who don't look like me. I commit to find the strength to work on my own implicit biases, to better educate myself, and to encourage those around me to do the same. I will listen actively and respectfully. This message is brought to you by the Canadian Anti-Racism Youth Coalition. Visit caryc.ca for more information about how you can stand up and speak out. Prince George five-day forecast from Environment Canada for today, mainly sunny. Wind from the southeast to 20K, a high of 6. Tonight, increasing cloudiness. Periods of rain beginning near midnight. Southeast winds gusting to 40, a low of 2. On Wednesday, cloudy, a 60% chance of showers in the morning. Gusting southeast winds continuing and a high of 9. Rain is the outlook for Thursday, a low of 4, a high of 7. Friday, cloudy with a 60% chance of showers, a low of 1, a high of 6. And Saturday, a mix of sun and cloud with a low of minus 2 and a high of 3. The long-range forecast for Sunday, a mix of sun and cloud, a low of minus 4, a high of 3. And Monday, cloudy with a 60% chance of showers, a low of minus 4 and a high of 2. You're listening to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Brought to you in part by Riverbend Seniors Community. When you live at Riverbend, you will feel right at home. Okay, Sharon, we're back, and our next two guests are on the line. So welcome to Amy Lonsbury. Is that correct, Amy? Yeah. yeah. And uh, to Corey Walker. Welcome to you both. Um, we're going to talk about uh, Sin. Is it Sin Eve Family yeah. Foundation? Yeah. Sin Eve. So, is that a two names together? No, no, no. It's the last name. Oh, of okay, family. okay. And Sin Eve Family Foundation is uh, dedicated to improve the outcomes for um, autistic youth and adults. Yeah. And I think that is really. Um, quite an amazing um, foundation. Uh, I really haven't heard of one that's specific for autism before, Amy. Uh, there are a few like autism-specific organizations mm-hmm. um, nationally, but they the focus is like really in that transition from sort of high school in, into adulthood in that trajectory is quite unique. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's a, like I, I just love working here. I, I love the people that I get to work with and, and uh, um, our mission and, and the, the sort of work that we get to do. I feel very privileged. The other thing is I think about I'm an older woman, and I think about when I went to school, and uh, in one class we um, we had uh, I don't know they called them handicapped back in those days challenged. We had them in our classroom, and uh, Miss Marion was our teacher there. And this is many years ago, but I've never forgotten her because she taught us about respect, acceptance, and to uh, abdicate. Well, Miss Marion sounds like an early um, inclusion advocate. So, but yeah, it's, it's really what I think when you have those experiences uh, in the classroom in an environment where you really trust the teacher and it feels quite safe and inclusive. I think you know for everyone that can be a really special experience. Yeah, we became the advocate for those um, kids, that, and that would have been in the forties, and. Uh, and so I think we were all touched by that kind of compassion and inclusion and kind of had an effect on me to not be judgmental but to be inclusive. And uh, uh, that was in grade 5 in 1945, that would have been. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely not something you heard about back in 1945 a lot. There wasn't a whole lot of talk about inclusion. It wasn't even really a, a word that, that people were really using uh, at the time. So that's uh, I'm really impressed that even back then there were there was a few teachers, as few as they probably were back then, that actually really believed in inclusion, and they probably laid the groundwork for the, the much more prominent movements we have today. So Yeah, we had some really neat, and they were older women because of the war, a lot of the young people went overseas, and so when so they they dragged the old teachers out of retirement, and and they um, you know they had some pretty um, impressive um, thoughts about inclusion. The other part was you know there was no place for a wheelchair in those days. There, nothing was wheelchair accessible. You were supposed to hide everybody away that didn't fit the the model of the day. Which I think was, you know, I, every time I walk down a sidewalk and it's got a dip in it for a wheelchair, I think it's so great that people can get out and be around. Well, and, and you know what we find with those, um, with that sort of style of curb, it's used often as an example of universal design. Yes. Um, so it doesn't just work for people um, in wheelchairs, but it works for kids on bicycles. Yes. And people with strollers and and I think that that is a, a really great lens to use for inclusion the much as much as we can um, look at our environment and say what it what how could we design this so that it works for the maximum number of people mm-hmm. um, then th- that will help continue this this uh, this journey towards inclusion the other thing I was on a board for seniors here in town and we did a, a research product project on um, apartment buildings, and they they were not designed for wheelchairs, and the the um, elevators were not wheelchair accessible. You know that. Uh, so we got together and we made sure that the law was changed for all buildings to have enough room in the bathroom and everywhere in an apartment that a wheelchair can get into. Yeah. Well, you, know, you talk, Sharon, about universal, and actually Amy, Amy talks about universal design, and uh, the, you know the toolkit that, that I'm really excited to talk about here that that uh, Amy and I kind of collaborated on with the Steve Family Foundation, uh, the toolkit for for you know employers supporting assisted employees. But he really talks about universal design. Like you know, a lot of people think, oh well, you know, if I if I accommodate this person with a disability, you know, they're not giving special treatment, or if I do it for one, I have to do it for all. Well, you know. A, it's not special treatment, and B, what's wrong with doing it for all? Like, if you're supporting an autistic employee by providing adjustments, those adjustments may also benefit other employees with other disabilities as well. Mm-hmm. And so you end up benefiting, you know, your whole organization as opposed to just a single employee. Yeah, and um, and so autism is more of a, is it a brain injury kind of a no, actually, autism is what we call a neurodevelopmental disorder, which is a big fancy word. It, it does have to do with the brain, but it's not actually caused by a physical injury at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't actually know for sure the cause of it, but it is believed to be, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence suggesting it's genetic, but scientists don't want to say for sure until they actually discover which gene caused it. But given the fact that in my family, I have a number of people all on my mom's side of the family that are being diagnosed autistic, you know, not, and from different generations. So mm-hmm. It definitely seems to be a genetic connection. Uh, basically, it affects, and autism is what we call a spectrum disorder. So right. it really, everybody is impacted differently. So 25 to 30% uh, don't develop speech or have the yes. most of them have what we call echolalia. So they'll mimic speech. They'll say they might quote movies or something like that, but they don't really actually have any, any speech of their own. Mm-hmm. And then you have sort of, you know, people on the other end of the spectrum that have fewer barriers and maybe are very verbal and, and, and maybe, you know, actually are, are, are very, you know, some people, some people call it to six, seven, so movies can't play up a little more than it should be, but <laughs> people that are actually really, you know, highly intellectual and everything. But, yeah. you know, where we all tend to have some things in common Mm-hmm. is things like social challenges, sensory issues. Uh, and so, for example, like a lot of autistics, myself included, we have difficulty sometimes understanding body language. So, yes. you know, um, you know th- and like making eye contact is hard. I always feel like I'm staring at somebody. So trying to understand how much is too much, how much is too little, and find that right balance. 
can be very difficult for us. And and like social things like, for example, uh, small talk. Like you know, they trying to fit in and just start <laughs> making small talk. Yeah. You know, uh, that can be very difficult. Um, I remember in high school before I was even diagnosed autistic, I went to Dutchess Park and we went to over the PGSS for uh, we were putting on a play. Uh-huh. And uh, one of my class, one of my castmates, uh, a girl, a, a girl who's a, year, a grade young, a grade below me. She just lost her uncle, so she was very obviously very sad and distraught by it. We all got into the uh, into the school, and she broke down crying. Everybody kind of gathered around her and was supporting her. And here I was on the outside of the circle, looking in because I didn't. I, I wanted to support her. I wanted to empathize, but I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to relate. I didn't know what to say. You know, yeah, and yeah. that can be a very you know that that's one that's one trait. Except like everybody's different. A lot of us will have. Sensory challenges. So, for example, uh, I'm very sensitive to certain textures. So, a lot of menstruals will have that pleat down the back. Yeah. I can't handle that, you know. Yeah. Um, I can't handle, you know, uh, like, yeah, like if you have uh, a loud, if you have loud music on in your car, like just, you know, a lot of, yeah. your a lot of people. Yeah. But that can be especially, you know, traumatizing to me, you know, and bright lights. You know, I go to the ophthalmologist and they, they want to shine a bright light in my eye. It's Ouch. really hard. I go to the yeah. dentist. They put sunglasses on me because when they, they lean you down in the chair, yeah. you're staring at this light. And my, I usually have to put two sunglasses on me because my eyes are that sensitive. Yeah. The other thing I remember when I, around the time I first met you, Corey, was you tell, telling me that you didn't have a sense of humor. And, and I don't think that's true at all. I don't either. <laughs> I've got um, my humor has gotten better it has. over the years, but one of my challenges I don't always understand humor. So someone will crack a joke and I'm kind of like, huh? You know? And they have to. You know, so once once they explain to me, I get why it's funny. And I laugh. But the thing with the joke is, if you don't get, if someone has to explain the punchline, that's not really funny. No, it isn't. No, no. So. Have you been a student of of uh, Have you been a recipient of the family fa- the Cinea, uh family? No, family? so actually, my role with Steve, I was actually employed by them for a year. Which what I really wanted to talk about is I was a project coordinator. Amy was sort of my, my my supervisor here, and we developed this amazing toolkit that's online, available for free. And that toolkit basically employers can download it; they can print it if they want. And and I wanted to share some of the cool things that if you have if your employer looking to plan autistic employee like I don't know how to support this person, you know? Yes. And you want to get the facts, not the myths, because there's always a lot of misconceptions. Yes. This toolkit is, is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, now they have to go on the uh, Cineb. How do you pronounce it properly? Yeah. It's Cineb. Cineb. Um, but yeah. it's actually on one of our sister websites. Okay. Uh, it's on Worktopia. W-O-R-K-T-O-P-I-A dot okay. it's called the Employer Toolkit. Okay. And it's, um, there's a few, Corey did amazing work on it. One mm-hmm. of the things I, I really appreciate about it is that it follows the employee life cycle. Oh. So whether you're thinking about hiring somebody, um, like brand new, you haven't even published the ad for the employee, yeah. Um, or you're you have somebody that's working with you, and you maybe want to know how to support them better. Um, so it, it it really meets, I hope, employers where they're at with their with their employees and where they are at, in their inclusion journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it has, I think, very practical tips. It has some checklists. Um, so we, we, we really wanted it to be, um, we didn't have to sort of do everything all at once. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, could find hopefully quite easily, it's broken into 15 sections. Um, so can hopefully find quite easily, um, what you would, what you might be looking for. Well, I mean, Corey's an example if he's on the spectrum, but he's involved in the, he has a radio program here on CFIS FM. About three or four of them. And he's also on the, he's the president of the board of directors. He's uh, very well educated in my mind anyway. He has a good grasp of language and, and, um, he takes things seriously and is, uh, you know, response, very responsible. And so, the only reason why I would suspect there was something is um, Corey's uh, way of speaking. 
that would be the only way that I'd be like, oh, he has that kind of sing-song way of talking that I'm quite used to. But Corey, in my mind, doesn't really have a lot of uh, um, challenges. And But then I'm not Corey. <laughs> well, you know, but then it depends on how you define challenges. Because one of the challenges I do have, and you're not seeing me every day, like maybe employers, I, I sometimes can be blind if I'm frustrated. Yeah. You know, I, I sometimes have a difficult time expressing myself. I, I serve. I know a lot of people say I call a spade a spade, and, and I'm not the only one. But for me, it's just like, you know, like I want to be a high school teacher, and then I actually went enrolled in a, in a post-secondary program here in BC to become that. Yeah. And then I made an unfiltered comment. No, I didn't tell the teacher the beep offering anything like that, yeah. but I basically, you know, I made an unfiltered comment, I mounted under my breath, the teachers at prep block shouldn't take on student teachers, which, yes, was rude, I, but I was frustrated, and I didn't know how to express my frustration about the lack of mentoring I was getting, yes. and as a result of that, the teacher basically said, you can't come back in the classroom, the principal said, you can't come back in the school, uh. and then he went and told every other principal in the Northwest BC area, please don't take this guy as a student teacher, he's trouble, and that I never did become a teacher, and I've had a lot of other great jobs since then, oh, but so, yeah. you know, we, we, I do have challenges sometimes, and, you know, and I do have, you know, a lot, a lot of sensory issues, not as bad as some, but, like, you know, I can be really bothered. Like, so my fiancé, who's also likely autistic, is hard hearing, so often the volume has to be up higher if she's over and watching a movie with me. Yeah. We have the volume up so she can hear it, but that's really hard for me because I like yeah. to be quiet because I can't handle a loud noise. Yeah. But I think you're pretty assert, um, assertive and honest about things. I think you've learned over time to say when you're uncomfortable. I, I have. Well, yeah. you know, it's like with anybody, you grow and mature. I'm not the same person I was when I was 21. That's right. Uh, I don't think anybody at 43 is the same person they are at 21. No. But, but I've also, but I've learned the hard way. You know, I've had, I've gotten in trouble and I've, I've been told things. And so I've had to learn from that, you know. But the employer toolkit kind of helps to, helps employers say, okay, I have, so for example, I have an employee maybe who is, you know, they have some challenges in communication. What are some yep. ways I can support them? You know, and there's yeah. actually, you know, it's not just, it's not like a hundred page of text. You have, you know, maybe several pages of text and you can go to some nice, easy checklists and they're all PDF. You can download them and, and it's great. And the nice thing is sharing about this, uh, this, uh, about this, uh, this toolkit is not just from my perspective. We actually did uh, a couple of really important surveys. We did a survey of autistic workers across Canada asking about the experience in workplace, a lot of questions and yeah. you know, a lot of people don't usually respond to surveys we actually got 171 responses from autistic workers wow. you know about the good and bad of the workplace and then we did uh, one of inclusive employers and we got around 30 responses to that mm -hmm. so we you know we actually had uh self-advocates on our advisory group that actually vetted the content and we also had hr professionals and work bc and everything like that yeah. on there looking at the content yeah. making sure that hey this isn't just good for the autistic from the autistic employee's perspective, but this is good for the employer's perspective as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Excuse mm -hmm. me. Uh, yeah, I think you add a lot to um, our board and to what we do here. Um, the other thing is that um, the applications, I was reading about Dr. Fraser Mustard. You know, I knew about him. I worked in a uh, uh, medical arts building in Toronto for uh, a doctor, but Dr. Mustard, I knew his brother as a, as a doctor. Oh, wow. Well, Dr. Fraser Mustard is one of your uh, one of the uh, applicants for uh, uh, for uh, uh, from the foundation, and no. and I was really interested in that, Amy. That he yeah. was involved in that. He's a wonder. He was a wonderful man uh, about childhood. He was that. So, Dr. Fraser Mustard has since passed away. Yes, he was one of our founding board members, and I agree with you. I I, I think that he. Um, I think he was a visionary and he yeah. was so compassionate yeah. uh, are words that are often used to describe him. And, and he had a very, um, uh, a very thoughtful way of thinking about child development and, and encouraged, you know, us to think about that sort of development trajectory, um, beyond childhood. That mm -hmm. was sort of some of the thinking that he brought and, um, to the to the early days and the early thinking, um, and so there we at Sunnis we have some scholarships. Yes, um, they're closed now for 2021, but yeah. they are annual scholarships, so they will 
um, open again. They are Alberta specific um, to, to students in Alberta, but we have two um, scholarship streams: one for uh, post-secondary, uh, postgraduate work, so PhD um, researchers typically, mm-hmm. and then we have a, a Haskin scholarship. Um, who's uh, named after a very prominent Calgary businessman, um, Dick Haskane, and right. those are scholarships for autistic students. Yes. Um, so a bit of a range, um, and then um, yeah. So that's the that's the work of Dr. Fraser Mustard. And if you were lucky enough to cross paths, um, that. I'm, I'm sure it's rather great too. <laughs> well, it, it did because I've uh, the work that I've done. I've discovered that uh, everything, um, like your behaviors, your choices, your um, your choice of work, your choice of partner, all of this can be influenced by how you were raised. And and uh, I I think we're starting to get there. But Dr. Mustard was there, you know, in the, in the 60s. He was yeah. already looking at, um, how child development, well, as a child, will, uh, affect their behavior and choices as a, an adult. And the, the, and I remember talking to, um, the executive director of child development here, and, and they're there. Like they know that they have classes from zero to, I forget what it is for the first, uh, like till five maybe, for the children to be brought in and to learn, uh, and to be assessed. I I I can't, you know, when I talked about this stuff, I just think about the past and how many how many people suffered because they didn't fit in. Well, I think when you you know. There's that, that saying, um, it's when you know better, you do better. Yeah. And I think that what, what we are learning about neurodevelopment, including autism, mm-hmm. is really helping us, you know, hopefully um, know more and do better. Yeah. And, and to be inclusive yeah. and to embrace diversity. Um, when uh, Corey was talking about his family history, and in my family on my mother's side, it's MS. And and it's the women that carry that genetic, and it's the sons that get it, not the daughters. And so I I was reminded by that when um, when Corey was sharing his family history. Now, uh, people, um, how do they get assessed, Corey? How did you get assessed? Well, assessment in BC is, is for adults is unfortunately a real problem because there's no uh, there's no free way of, of doing it. So you can there are registered psychologists that will do adult assessments, uh, but you're looking at you know um, fifty thousand dollars. I was lucky wow. there was a program called uh, employment program for persons with disabilities that precede work BC, uh, and they funded my my psych assessment. Uh, as, as a child, if you're under eighteen, you can go through the Northern Health Autism Assessment Network. The wait list can be quite significant, uh, so get in on the wait list as soon as you can. That is no cost to to the parent, but as now you you are looking at private options. So there is a, a psychologist in Prince George, Dr. Chan Wagner, that does assessments. I don't know what you charge. I wouldn't want to try and, and quote the price on air. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's other options. There's some you know there's uh, Dr. David Warling in Vancouver. There's a few, but unfortunately in BC we are. I don't know what it's like in Alberta, but we are we are in BC. We're very lacking in terms of any kind of real support for getting assessed as an adult. So. Yeah. And so, uh, and as a child, I suppose you could do that through the Child Development Center if you took your child over there to go into the no, class. No, a child is through uh, Northern Health Assessment Northern Network, Health. not okay. through the Child Development Network. Okay. Child, not through the Child Development Center. Okay. Northern Health. Because we got a lot of grandparents uh, raising grandchildren these days. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, uh, autism wasn't a diagnosis when in my era no and so it's like okay what's the matter with my grandchild and yeah. it could be just trauma uh seeing trauma but it could also be other things and so that's why i wanted to ask you about yeah. it yeah, definitely get them assessed by a professional because, you know, as a parent or as a, as, as a, you know, as a person myself who's not a trained medical professional, the best we can do is just guess. We can say, look, it looks like they may be autistic. They got the signs. 
But you know, there's the standardized assessments of the qualified professionals are trained to, to provide, to do, and then they can kind of come out. Because he said there could be trauma or other things as well that only a trained professional is really going to be able to sort out and figure exactly what's going on. So, Yeah, and I think people who are listening who have... Um, been diagnosed, uh, go on that, the website and see what's available. There's even housing supports and education and training after high school. And, um, and the, in Calgary, there's a, a student wellness services and, uh, there's a campus prep post-secondary. I mean, this is all wonderful, Amy. Thank you. Uh, and, that, and, and a lot is available virtually. Yeah, um, that is, I think, one of the silver linings of um, these last tough years. Yeah, um, is is many organizations um, who had worked locally, even to help people locally, you had you had to put things, um, you had to create virtual tools, yes, uh, and virtual programs, and so that actually removes a, a big barrier. At talking about universal design, it makes them accessible. Yes. yes. Um, for for everyone uh, and and remove um, some geographic barriers. So I appreciate that you spent some time on our website and um, and and that you're encouraging others to um, spend some time there as well. I think, uh, as I say, I, I really like working for the foundation and uh, think there's some good things happening. Well, yeah, yeah. yes, Corey. I, I worked. I was going to say I was only there for years, so I was just a short-term employee. But I, that was one of the best jobs I had. I really found Snead to be a very inclusive employer. You know, they were very supportive and and very you know very accommodating. And they really they really put uh, you know uh, they they really they're they're kind of they're not just I want to say they're not just saying great things on the website. It's easy enough to say great things on the website, and make yourself look good. They they are great. I you know, I, I was working for Prince George, so I wasn't experiencing you know a lot of the other programs are offering. It's not burden, right. but uh, from my personal perspective, I really enjoyed working for Steve. And uh, I'm thinking if they're if the way they treat the clients is as good as they treat me, I'm sure it is, and they, they probably provide amazing services. Yeah, the, uh, Richard Haskane uh, is his. Um, he's he's. This is just for Alberta. Yes. It is. Yeah, yeah. 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 The scholarships are specific. Yeah. Uh, there. Well, to, to be actually more clear you have to be attending an alberta uh post-secondary institution so if you were in bc and going to the u of a or university of calgary uh then you could apply okay um, but, but the uh, the focus of the of the scholarship has been um uh, for those attending alberta institutions and then dr fraser mustards his is uh universe uh well over all over canada isn't it that people can apply? Oh, wow. You can, but I also believe with Dr. Mustard, if there's a requirement that you're attending an Alberta institution. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, I know a lot of people who went to the University of Alberta um, and uh, are still going there. And, and so. I went to the University of Alberta. <laughs> I went to the University of Northern BC when it was only two years old. Well, the campus was only two years old. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you, I invested a lot of money to get that going when I was still living in Quinnell. And then. At age 55, I went to University of Northern BC. Cool. A <laughs> uh, lifelong learner. That's awesome, Sharon. Yeah, it is. Well, I really appreciate uh, uh, what the um, the Sinia Family Foundation is offering, and I appreciate what you're doing. And, Corey, um, you are kind of managing or kind of looking after the autism group in town, are you not? Yeah, well, we are trying to resurrect an autism, adolescent support group, and so if someone wants more information, they can phone Sources Community Resource Society. Their number is two five zero five six one eleven ninety four, and and we're we're hoping to start in November. We're just trying to we're just lining up a guest speaker, and then and then trying to make sure we have enough people so that a guest speaker is not presenting to an empty room. And it will be it's virtual for now. We're really hoping that it would be sort of in person. We may hopefully for the new year, you know, we can look at depending on restrictions, maybe looking at doing a hybrid option, maybe doing some form of in-person with social distancing, uh, but ultimately it's up to sources, this is their space, so it depends on what their policies are, but yeah, we're doing that. I think they're also hoping to do a young adult uh, online social group, uh, social skills group, so again, 5 one 11 sources is kind of the key 
one for autistic uh, adults right now can also be seen in Olga has an office in Prince George, so sources would be Kenny here to go to. But if you're looking for family support, you also have the Pacific Awesome Family Network now has a new manager for Prince George. They didn't have someone for a while. They have someone again, and their number is 6450995. And that is Ash Moberg is the manager. She, I'm sure she would love to hear from families okay. and how she we're, can support them. So We're done, Corey. I'm sorry. But I'll okay. get this information from you, and we can talk later. Uh, no Amy, thank you so much for what you're doing. I really appreciate you, and I really appreciate the foundation. And, Corey, thanks for uh, bringing this to my attention. And we have to leave now. Okay, take care, everyone. Yeah. Bye, Amy. Bye bye. Senior Moments, goodbye. Senior Moments is a co production of 93.1 CFISFM and the Prince George Council of Seniors.